Our text this Lord's Day is found in John chapter 1, verse 11. He that is Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. We continue in our series, Israel Past, Present, and Future. In 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins by the Romans. The temple was completely destroyed. As Jesus said, not one stone lay upon the other. The Jews in Jerusalem that were killed either by sword or by starvation during the seven-month siege of Jerusalem by the Romans were estimated to have been over a million people that were killed, that were slain, that died. And the rest, most of the rest, were taken into slavery. Throughout Judea was devastation, not only in Jerusalem, but throughout Judea was complete devastation over the whole land. As we said, Jesus had prophesied this terrible judgment would fall upon Jerusalem and upon the temple about 40 years earlier. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2 and verse 34. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then he says in verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And then in Luke 21, verses 20 through 24, likewise the Lord Jesus prophesied concerning Jerusalem, and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. But why would God bring such unimaginable judgment upon his people whom he had chosen out of all the nations in the world? Well, our text in John 1.11 summarizes the reasons for God's judgment. He, Jesus, came unto his own, and his own received him not. Israel rejected the Messiah and joined with the Romans in plotting and consenting to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus who was the seed of Abraham and David. Jesus who had come to save his people from their sins. To save his people from their enemies. And the greatest of enemies was, was not the Romans whom they thought was their greatest enemy. No, their greatest enemies were, in fact, sin, death, and Satan. In so doing, Israel as a people or a nation made themselves to be the enemy of God. As Paul says, is even presently the case in Romans eleven twenty eight. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Let us understand, Israel is presently God's enemy, not God's friend. Israel is presently a covenant-breaking nation and people, just as in the Old Testament, now even to a far greater degree of aggravation because of the sin that they have committed against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Dear ones, we must be very careful that we avoid either of these extremes that are out there in the public, even within churches. On the one hand, blessing the nation of Israel as if she is presently God's friend. But on the other hand, hating the nation of Israel as if she is not God's chosen people that will in the future be brought to Jesus Christ and into his church to show forth the wondrous mercy and love and grace of Jesus Christ. And so let us consider today how Israel became God's enemy and how God's righteous judgment fell upon Israel and to this present day even remains upon Israel as God's enemy. Our main points are these today. First of all, Israel's rejection of Christ. And then second, God's judgment upon Israel. <clears throat> So first of all, Israel's rejection of Christ. He came into his own, and his own received him not. That's what we're going to look at, is how Israel rejected the Lord Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, beginning in the ministry of John the Baptist. As John the Baptist appeared in Israel preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, repent, believe uh, in the Lord God. Because if the kingdom is at hand, then the king over that kingdom is likewise at hand, namely Jesus Christ. John was the forerunner, running ahead, preparing the people for the king that was coming after him behind him, and that is detailed by way of quoting Old Testament prophecies concerning John and his ministry in preparing the way of the Lord in Mark 1, verses 1 through 5. 
Even the Jewish leaders at the time of John were coming to John uh, and saying to John, uh, are you the Messiah? Uh, or should we look for someone else? Are you the one who has prophesied to come? And in Luke 3.15, we read, and as the people were in expectation, expectation of what? Of the coming of the Messiah. Just at that time of ministry of John. As the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, that is about John, what was his ministry? What was he doing? Whether he were the Christ or not. You see, the timing of the Messiah and his coming was prophesied, as we've already seen in Daniel chapter 9. It was right on target. Speaking of the 70 weeks of Daniel, the angel tells Daniel that after 69 weeks, the Messiah would appear. That is 69 weeks, prophetic weeks, being 483 actual years from the decree of Artaxerxes in 458 to 457 BC, the Messiah would appear unto Israel. And that was the precise time when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in, in 26 to 27 AD. And so you see, at this particular time, there was a messianic fervor and savor in the air as John declared, Behold the Lamb of God! which taketh away the sin of the world, John 1.29, speaking of the Lord Jesus. And then we move to the ministry of Jesus. The Lord Jesus, in coming, fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. He was the seed of David, as was prophesied in 2 Samuel 7, who was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in Micah 5.2, as it was prophesied. He performed wondrous miracles which are articulated and, and specifically mentioned in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. And Jesus details those same miracles, quoting this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 35. He quotes that passage of scripture as he tells the, the disciples of John to go back to John and to tell John what he, Jesus, was doing in fulfillment of those messianic promises and how he was performing all of these miracles that were detailed. And Jesus, as the Messiah, suffered for the sins of his people by way of his crucifixion. That was mentioned, and that is alluded to as well in Psalm 22, 16. In Isaiah 53, in Zechariah 12, 10, that he would be pierced, that he'd be, again, his hands would be pierced, his side would be pierced. Then, again, Messianic promises concerning his resurrection. Likewise, in Isaiah 53, and then messianic promises concerning his ascension into heaven and being enthroned at the right hand of God as the messianic king, Psalm 110, verse 1. And so all of these promises were fulfilled. 
in the Lord Jesus and many more. His disciples during the ministry of Christ were sent out specifically to take the message of the kingdom, specifically to prepare them for their king to Israel first. In fact, Jesus says not to go into the way of the Samaritans or the, or the Gentiles. He says in, in sending his apostles out, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, because the king is here. The king is among you. Jesus declared to Israel that he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one that had been promised in all the Old Testament scriptures. And he received worship as the divine son of God throughout his ministry. He forgave sins, which only God can do. And even when he faced death, he would not deny that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. He declared to Israel that not only through faith in him, that only through faith in him was there everlasting life. There was no life unto them except through him. He declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus even prophesied his death and made his resurrection three days later to be the evidence of all evidence that all that he taught, all that he said about himself was absolutely true. Had he remained in the grave, then we could throw out everything. It would all be a bunch of lies. We could throw out the Old Testament because he confirmed the Old Testament. He said he, the Old Testament spoke of him. He was the one who made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament that appeared to Moses. We can throw it all out if he was not raised from the dead. But he was raised from the dead as he said he would be. And in fact, the Jews saw this as such a powerful uh, testimony because Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 40, it says, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. He had been performing all these miracles all along, but they now want to see another sign from him. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he will not any longer remain in the heart of the earth. 
he will be raised from the dead. And yet, in spite of all that Jesus taught, all the miracles he performed, prophesied, prophesied his death, his resurrection, Israel collectively as a people, as a nation, rejected him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Though a remnant was saved, as Paul says in Romans 11:5, an election according to God's grace was saved. Paul includes himself among them. Israel not only rejected Jesus as their messianic king and savior, but they demanded that he be crucified. Even calling upon themselves and their children the guilt of the sinless Son of God when they cried out in Matthew 27, verses 22 through 25. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. The guilt of that be upon us and upon our children. Now I want to make clear, this was not a personal guilt that all subsequent generations were personally guilty of Christ's blood as that generation that said so, but it is a covenantal guilt. They were the people of God, and they rejected him. Again, God's covenant, though they are presently covenant breakers, they are covenantally, as a people, responsible and guilty. The guilt does lie upon them covenantally, not each individual personally, as if they personally uh, committed that particular sin, but covenantally as a nation. Just as we did not personally eat of the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, Adam did, Eve did, yet again covenantally that sin is passed on to all generations for whom Adam was the head and is the head. So likewise, covenantally, there is that guilt and responsibility that's passed on to the Jewish people. They are, in fact, as Romans 11, we looked at this uh, last Lord's Day, they are a covenant-breaking nation. Though Israel in the Old Testament had many times rebelled against the Lord. Many times they had rejected the Lord. They had served other gods. They had despised his commandments and turned against them, and God had sent nations in judgment upon them. At this time in history, at the time of Christ, they rebelled, they rejected, and they despised the Lord face to face and even delivered him, who had made covenant with them, 
delivered him over to be crucified by the Romans. Now they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good because that was the chosen means by which God would place upon the Lord Jesus Christ the sins of all of his elect. And he would die as one cursed. Israel thought simply cursed by them. No, he would die as cursed by God because God's judgment fell upon him instead of upon us. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. They're still responsible for their evil, for their actions, for their, for their thoughts, for their intentions, and for rebelling against Lord Jesus. But the Lord God meant it for good to save his people from their sins. And so again, we see Jesus came unto his own. That's what we see in the ministry of Christ. He came into his own, and his own received him not. So Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve, talking about the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, though he would, the seed would be bruised in the heel, that refers to his death, but yet he would bring deliverance. He would overcome the enemy over sin, overcome sin and death and Satan through his uh, death upon the cross, through his resurrection. He was, again, the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to all Israel, and yet they rejected him. They followed him for his miracles for a time, but despised him when popular opinion turned and shifted against him, as many do today. People are very willing to follow the Lord Jesus when what Jesus calls us to do uh, is not too difficult, not too hard, when it's popular to do, but again, when we realize Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for him. Jesus, and that doesn't mean simply at the point of death, but to lay down our lives for him, to die to self throughout our lives as Christians in order to live for him. And even after Jesus arose from the dead, the Jews chose to spread a lie and to believe that lie rather than to believe the truth. In Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, that is the guards that watched the grave, the tomb of Jesus, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. They told them the truth. They told the, the religious leaders, what had happened by way of Christ's resurrection? The tomb was empty. He was not there. The disciples had not stolen the body, but there had been a, a huge earthquake, a glorious light that shined. They, they told them the truth. 
And when they were assembled with the elders, that is the guard was assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers saying, say ye his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you because again, to fall asleep on the guard was the death penalty. And they said, we'll, we'll cover you. We've got your back, if this comes to the governor. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day, the, the saying being that the disciples stole the body by night. So that's what, again, that's what is meant when we read in John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. All of what I've said, that's that and much more, but that in summary is what is meant that they rejected, they did not receive him, in spite of all that the Lord had done. We see further in the ministry of the apostles, were they satisfied simply to crucify the Lord Jesus? No, did Israel uh, treat the apostles did they treat Christians who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ any better than they did the Lord Jesus? Absolutely not. They brought them as well before the Sanhedrin and told them that they could not teach in the name of Christ in Acts, Acts chapters four through five. They beat them and then sent them, sent them out and they said, we cannot obey this. Uh, you judge whether we ought to obey God rather than man. They persecuted the religious leaders. Israel persecuted the apostles and those faithful Christians relentlessly in Jerusalem. Stephen becoming the first recorded martyr and pursued them into surrounding nations as did, the, did Saul of Tarsus. After Saul's conversion to the Lord Jesus, the message of the gospel which he took as Paul, the Apostle Paul, he took it throughout the whole Roman Empire. And it was, as we read in the book of Acts, it was taken to the Jews first. And when they rejected it, they turned to the Gentiles in each of these cities where there were synagogues. They went into the synagogues first. They preached the gospel to the Jews first. And each time the Jews stirred up the people. And in Lystra, they stirred up the people in such a way that they stoned the apostle Paul and he was left for dead, but God had mercy. And if he was dead, he was raised from the dead. Eventually, the Romans did indeed become the arch persecutors of Christians. But until the time of Nero, it was basically Israel. It was basically the Jews that chiefly persecuted the followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and verses 15 through 16, 
who, that is the Jews, both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, upon Israel, upon the Jews, Paul says. Even when the Romans persecuted Christians, it was often at the insistence of the Jews as God's enemies. Through all that Paul experienced by way of persecution from his fellow Jews over the gospel of Christ, however, this is important to note, Paul did not despise the Jews nor did he arouse the Romans against the Jews to destroy the Jews. He so desired their conversion that he could wish himself to be cursed if it meant their salvation. Romans 9, verses 3-4 he says, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Was Paul a Jew hater? Clearly not. Would that, would that I had the same depth of desire to see Jews? to see Palestinians, to see Muslims, or even to see my own family members come to Christ. As Paul states there, he could wish that he were accursed to see his brethren, the Israelites, brought unto Jesus Christ. God grant us that kind of zeal to see the lost brought to Jesus Christ. You see, through this brief survey, we can, we can see that Israel rejected and preferred a murderer, Barabbas, over Jesus. Over Jesus, the promised Messiah spoken of throughout the Old Testament, they pre preferred a known murderer over him who was prophesied to be the Messiah and fulfilled those prophecies. The very one who, as we said earlier, had entered into covenant with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and with all Israel. He who entered into a gracious covenant with Israel to save them as a people was despised and was slain at the insistence of Israel. And the apostles pretty clearly point to them as being responsible, that generation, those people who, who called for his death in Acts 2. Verses 22 through 23. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, 
as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Likewise in Acts 5.29-31, through 31, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew. He's appearing before the San Jewish Sanhedrin, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And so, dear ones, understand, this was the sin of all sin that was committed by a nation with whom God entered into a covenant. This was the sin of all sin, and that's why God brought such severe judgment upon Israel. And yet the apostles continued to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews. So let us continue with the second main point, God's judgment upon Israel. Before Jesus was crucified, there is a portion in Matthew chapter 23 that is very touching. He wept over the great judgment. He wept over Jerusalem and the great judgment that was to be brought upon Jerusalem, upon Israel through the Romans that began with that judgment, that great judgment and the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple in 70 AD. We read these words by the Lord Jesus in his prayer. Matthew 23, verses 37 through 38. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. <clears throat> as one continues reading into Matthew 24, there we find the terrifying description of God's judgment that fell upon Jerusalem, the temple. And as was mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, the devastation by God through the Romans upon Jerusalem at its destruction in 70 AD and of the temple is almost unspeakable, the details to read Josephus as to what happened at that time is almost unimaginable, what God brought upon that nation. He came, Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. And judgment fell upon Israel. What is often not mentioned in historically detailing God's righteous judgment that fell upon Israel is that the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD was not the only judgment that God brought upon Israel. God brought further judgments upon Israel through the Romans after 70 AD. There was a second Jewish war. After 70 AD, there was a second Jewish war in 115 to 117 AD in which the Romans once again decimated 
Jewish resistance to Roman rule. There was a third Jewish war in 132 to 136 AD in which a Jewish messianic figure by the name of Bar Kova led again Jews to revolt against the Romans and once again the Jews were decimated and destroyed. There was even a fourth Jewish war in 351 to 352 AD in which the Romans crushed a Jewish independence movement in the area of Galilee. In other words, God continued to bring judgment upon Israel and upon the Jews for their rejection of Jesus Christ as their covenant savior and king. And as a result of all these judgments, few Jews were left in ancient Israel. Most were dispersed throughout the kingdoms, nations of the world. Jerusalem was, in fact, rebuilt as a Roman colony in 129 to 130 and renamed Elia Capitolina, a temple to Jupiter, was built over the ruins of the temple. After the revolt of Barcova in 132 AD, Judea was renamed by the Romans Palestine in order to deride the Jews in calling the land by the name of their ancient enemy, the Philistines. And so it continues. It should also be noted here, when we're talking about God's judgment upon Israel, that his present judgment since the rejection, crucifixion of Christ, has fallen upon Israel by way of various attempts to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They have failed. After the destruction in 70 AD, Barcopa in, in 132 to 136 AD planned to rebuild the temple, but this was crushed by the Romans. Likewise, the Roman emperor, Julian, gave permission uh, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but it was devastated by an earthquake. As they began, it was devastated by an earthquake that hit the, that part of the world, that land, brought down whatever they had sought to build in 363 AD. And no attempts have been made since then and will not, if they should be made in the future, will not have God's blessing. Jesus has, in fact, fulfilled all of the shadows of the law, whether it be the priesthood, whether it be the sacrifices, whether it be the temple, whether it be the ceremonies, whether it be the holy days. Jesus has fulfilled all. Those were all shadows pointing to Christ. And so, dear ones, understand that the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and the various judgments that God brought against Israel 
was clearly due to Israel's rejection of Christ. That's what the Lord says in Matthew 23, which we, which we already read. It would follow that until Israel repents of its own grievous sin and turns in faith and repentance unto Christ, Israel remains the enemy of God, remains under the judgment of God. In fact, the, the parable of the landowner and, and the vineyard in Matthew 21, given by the Lord Jesus, where the Lord Jesus compares the kingdom, the visible church, the visible kingdom to a, a vineyard owned by a landowner that was rented out uh, to uh, certain ones to care for the vineyard. And then they were supposed to bring forth fruit and give that fruit to the landowner. But they refused to give forth any fruit to the landowner. And he sent servants. The landowner sent servants. Uh, and they uh, misused, abused, persecuted uh, each of the servants. Some they killed. And finally the landowner said, surely they'll reverence and respect my son if I send him. And he sends them and they say, here's the heir. Let's take him outside the vineyard and kill him and the inheritance belongs to us. And Jesus says to the religious leaders that he's speaking to, what will the landowner do to these men? And the Pharisees themselves say, he will surely come and he will destroy them all. And Jesus says unto them, in Matthew 21, 43, Therefore I say unto you, speaking to these religious leaders, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. The kingdom of God, the visible church, will be taken from Israel and given to a nation, the Gentiles, bringing forth the fruit thereof. Again, whether it be the church as, again, the uh, not merely Gentiles, but largely Gentiles, consisting of Jew and Gentile alike. That's what Paul means when we looked at Romans 11, in God cutting off the natural branches and grafting in the unnatural branches, and cutting off the natural branches of the Jews and and gra uh, Israel and grafting in the unnatural branches of Gentiles and Gentile nations. Paul says in Romans eleven twenty two, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, that is upon the Jews, God brought severe judgment and is still bringing forth severe judgment upon Israel. But notice Paul goes, but toward thee, speaking to the Gentiles in Rome, but thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. If Gentiles do not continue in trusting in the Lord, they'll be cut off just like the Jews were. 
Though God has raised up the Romans and many others throughout history to bring judgment upon Israel, let us understand this, that the hatred of those nations and the desire to exterminate Israel is in no wise justified by God. Back in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 through 7 and verse 12, God raised up the Assyrians to judge Israel. And he calls the Assyrians uh, the staff and the rod in his hand of his own wrath and indignation against Israel. But then, as we'll read in a moment, he says, and yet I'm going to punish you Assyrians for how you treated my people. It was in your heart to destroy them. It was in your heart to do that which is evil and that which is wicked. And I use that as judgment against my people for their sin and their rebellion. But you're responsible for what you have done. Your hatred, your desire to annihilate, your desire to, to destroy my people. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation, meaning Israel, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit he, that is the Assyrians, meaneth not so. They're not intending to be used uh, as God's instrument of judgment against a covenant-keeping nation. They simply want to destroy. They simply want to, to enlarge their empire. That's all that they care about, Assyria, God says. Howbeit he meaneth not so. The Assyrians don't mean to do God's will. Neither doth his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem... I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. So because of Assyria's wickedness and even in how they, they had such hatred for Israel, God judged Assyria. And God, I would submit to you, whatever judgments God has brought upon Israel, God has judged those nations as well for their desire to exterminate their desire to remove and destroy Israel from the face of the earth. Israel is God's chosen nation that is yet loved by Christ for the sake of the covenant he made with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Mo Moses, and David. According to Romans 11:28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. There is yet, dear ones, a future time of blessing God will bring upon Israel when God turns the collective and national heart of Israel to trust in him, to trust in Christ, to repent of their sin and rebellion against Jesus Christ and to love and to obey the triune God. Israel is presently a covenant-breaking nation that is not 
blessed by the Lord, but it is God's enemy. The establishment of Israel as a nation by the United Nations Charter in 1948 ought not to be construed as an indication of God's covenant blessing upon them as if they had returned to the Lord because they have not returned to the Lord. God's covenant blessings will be restored to Israel when they do turn in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, in fact, according to prophecy, which we will look at in a future sermon here, Israel will yet be overcome by the nations around them. They're not going to remain as they presently are able to defend themselves. They will yet be subdued by nations around them, according to Zechariah 14 and according to Revelation 16, which we will, as I said, consider in another sermon. But they will, as a result of that, they will turn. They will turn to the Lord Jesus, whom they have pierced. As Zechariah 12.10 says, they will call upon him. They will cry out that the Lord Jesus save them, rescue them from their sin and from their enemies. And Jesus will hear and he will save them. Scripture teaches that Israel is under God's judgment until Israel sees by faith and turns by faith to Jesus Christ as Messiah and becomes a member of Christ's church. Dear ones, as I close, Israel, Israel needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Present Judaism is a false religion, just as Islam is a false religion. Understand that Judaism is not the continuation of the religion of the Old Testament. Actually, Christianity is a continuation of the religion of the Old Testament. All the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus taught, that was the case, and as the apostles taught, they continually referred back to the Old Testament scriptures as the foundation for what they taught in doctrine, worship, and government. They were continually appealing to the Old Testament scriptures as Christianity being the fulfillment and realization of that Old Testament religion. Present, present Judaism, dear ones, is essentially the same thing as Pharisaical Judaism, which condemned Jesus to death, and which Jesus himself taught against. Christian Zionists that falsely claim that Jews who presently follow the law and die without Christ will enter heaven are false teachers, are false teachers. That, dear ones, is not love. 
That is not love for Jews. That is cruelty of the worst degree. That is to take away from the Jews the only hope that they or any of us have of eternal life that is only found in Jesus Christ. That is not to send Jews to heaven. That is to send Jews to hell without Jesus Christ. Now, nothing I have said, dear ones, in outlining Israel's rejection of Christ or the judgment that God brought upon Israel should be construed to mean at all that we are to hate Jews or to hate Palestinians. They all need Jesus Christ, everyone. The only hope for Jews, the only hope for Palestinians, the only hope for any of us is found in Jesus Christ. He came unto his own and his own received him not. The next verse says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You see, the answer is to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Our certain hope is that all nations, including Israel, including the Palestinians, including all nations, all nations will be brought to Jesus, and we'll be considering this in a future sermon, and will be brought into Christ's church to be brothers and sisters in Christ, where there is neither Jew nor Palestinian, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Dear ones, remember Paul's words again in Romans eleven twenty eight, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And remember the words of Paul in Romans 10.1 as we see his zeal. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Israel, as a nation, as a people, that they might be saved. That's my heart's desire, Paul says. God grant to us Paul's zeal to pray not only for covenant-breaking Israel, but to break, pray likewise for our own covenant-breaking nation that has turned its back upon the faithful covenant of our forefathers, even the solemn league and covenant. God grant us Paul's zeal to pray for our covenant-breaking nation, to pray with that kind of zeal for our family, for our friends, for our co-workers, even for our enemies. Dear ones, Paul's heart was broken. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. His heart was broken. Is our heart broken over the lost who need Jesus Christ? Please stand with me in prayer.
blessed Savior, how we thank thee and praise thee. Our God of mercy, a God of grace, thou will not forget thy covenants that thou hast made with nations, with people, and Lord, there is coming a time when the nations of this world, not only Israel, but the nations of this world will make covenant with thee. And Lord, we pray that thou would hasten that time. And that Lord, thou would give to us a biblical worldview as it pertains to these important matters. Help us understand the covenant love that was rejected by Israel that has brought about them becoming the enemies of God and yet like covenant promises that will not fail to be realized yet in restoring nation of uh, the nation and people of Israel to thyself. Our God, we praise thee and thank thee for thy word, thy truth, we rest in it. May we, Lord, not only be equipped to be able to give answers to questions from thy word, but Lord, even more importantly, may we live according to it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.